Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. What does it take to leave a legacy? Heroes of the faith like Noah and Nehemiah are remembered for the wonders they built. Their efforts, diligence and hard work secured them a place in the history books. And perhaps our blueprint for longevity lies in what we can accomplish. Sometimes our work makes history, but our name remains unknown. And sometimes our name stands up before greatness. There has never been a composer like David. He wrote lyrics and played so skillfully that the king of Israel sent for him by name. He became known as a warrior and a writer and made it into scripture because he used his talents to honor the Lord. We too have the opportunity to leave a legacy through our talents. You are unique to your talent. No one has ever moved like you played like you or spoken like you and when you take what you can do and do it for the glory of god your gift writes its own legacy the sound of two coins falling from the widow's hands made a mark in history recorded in luke 21 she brought what she had and placed it before god in faith Faith is a legacy writer. Faith is the story of God's kingdom. And it's the story of Liverpool One Church. It's the story of above and beyond. It is central to all that we do. It is the reason for our very existence. Faith is declaring the goodness of God to a broken world and standing at a crossroads with open arms and trusting. He who has been faithful in the past will be faithful again. His promises are certain, yesterday, today, and forever. The legacy of this church is written in lives that are forever changed through our faith. God is offering generational stories in young adults, youth, and powerhouse kids. These ministries have become doorways for whole families to walk into the house of God as one generation is declaring the works of God to the next. And the atmosphere of Braveheart is giving women the courage to influence their homes in a God-honoring way. As we, the carriers of his gospel, make a way for them. Jesus has freely given us everything we have and now our response is to freely give it back to believe as a church that generosity is normal and that our life calls us to be more than ordinary or average our faith has called us above and beyond Hey, Liverpool One Church, it is so amazing to have you with us for service today. I just want to say a huge welcome to everyone that is gathered in person and is with us in the room, but also a special welcome to anybody tuning in and joining us online too. We are kicking off week two of our current legacy series, and I'm super excited to share what I've got on my heart for you all this week. But but I do want to do something just before we kind of jump into the depth of the message that we've got to do today. And that's just, I think that everybody is probably aware, and people will have seen on the news that there's quite a lot going on in and around the nation of Israel right now. And many people have started to die and their lives have been affected as a result of 
all of this conflict. And um, man, I'm always mindful that it's just absolutely abundantly clear in Scripture that Israel absolutely has an incredibly special place within the very heart of our Father God in heaven. So I just think that, you know what, um, it would be an amazing thing if we could just do this. If we could maybe just all stand together as we agree that we're going to pray for the peace in Israel. So can we stand real quick? And then we're going to jump straight to today's message. Heavenly Father, we don't know exactly what's going on over in Israel right now. We can read news reports and we can, you know, we can watch snippets of film on social media. But God, you really do know what's happening and you know of all of the intricacies. And what's clear to me is that your heart is very much so drawn abundantly towards Israel as a nation. And God, I just really pray right now for those families that have lost people in this conflict. We pray that they would know of your peace that surpasses all understanding. But even more than that, God, I pray that supernaturally that your hand of protection would be upon that nation, but also that you would just see a supernatural sense of peace start to come into all of the negotiations that maybe at some point might happen. God, I just pray that your hand would just be in that thing and on that thing so that something good can come out of it. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. With Warn Church, go ahead and take your seats. Um, we're in our legacy series right now, and we've been kind of upfront in letting you know that our end goal with this series is it's going to be the second year that we've ever done this. But as a church, we're going to be taking up our above and beyond financial offering at the end of this month, because we understand that actually, when it comes to honoring God financially in terms of our tithes, which is what many of you would do every month, that that's not really an offering to God, because hey, the tithe is just returning back to God that which is his anyway. But the above and beyond legacy offering is really about us trying to make a statement before God saying, with all that you have given us and with all that you have blessed us with, we're going to return a portion of this back to you. So I just want to be straight up and not have anybody feel blindsided that this is where this is going. But today we are going to have a great conversation about an area in our Christian faith that actually is super difficult to talk about. But before we do that, we are going to celebrate something. Because what was amazing for me, even just doing this exact same message at the 10 o'clock, was whilst we were meeting at 10 o'clock, literally something phenomenal was happening on uh, the other side of Europe. Well, not really the other side, quite close to us in Europe, in the city of Toulouse in France. And that was the official launch of a church called La Rencontre, which is being led by pastors Kevin and Noel Miller. And many of you might have known those guys because they've been a part of what we've been doing as a church for a number of years now and along with Pastor Manu and they really have launched church incredibly well today in Toulouse and you guys have been a part of it so why don't you take a quick look at the screen and listen to this message from Pastors Kevin and Noel. 
Well, hey, Liverpool One Church, we are the Millers. For those of you who do not know us, we are your extended family here in Toulouse, France. And we have started, along with our French friends, Manu and Lachim Molimic, Eglise La Rencontre, which means the Encounter Church. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it was almost a year ago in October that we were there in Liverpool sharing with you all the things that God was doing. I think at that point we had started our Sunday experience, which was running about 60 people. And uh, last weekend we had 140 people. And this weekend is the inauguration of our church. It is the launch of our church. And Liverpool One Church, you have been there every step of the way. And we just wanted to say thank you. That's right. Not only have you prayed for us, but you've also been generous to us with your finances. You sowed a seed early on that we are beginning to see the fruit from. We also want to say it's your pastors, it's your team who have spoke life and believed in what God is doing here in Toulouse and believed in us from the beginning. So Liverpool One Church, Pastor Luke, Pastor Emma, all the team there, we love you guys so much and we're so excited for what God's doing here. You are a part of it. Thank you. Hey, isn't that amazing? Because last year as a church, we were able to sow several thousands of pounds into that brand new church plant because we have an absolutely huge heart for anybody that wants to start a church because we believe that the local church really is the hope of the world. And I just want you to know that you guys have really been a part of that journey. And as they launch today, and I'm so excited because I'm sure by the end of play today, I'm going to have received a multitude of messages of just the good reports of the amount of people that have come into that church as they pursue a God-given dream to build a life-giving church in Toulouse. And I just want to say thank you, Liverpool One Church, for being the kind of church that helps make that possible. Now, I kind of see my role as a pastor, as a senior leader of a Christian church, is that really I'm responsible in part to try to help you journey your Christian faith well. In fact, it's my responsibility in part to try and help you move from where you are and move you towards what God has got planned for you. That's partly my responsibility in doing that. But I think that in order to do that effectively, and we'll all agree on this, sometimes you've got to have some incredibly hard and heavy conversations. Now, even though none of us, me included, no one likes to have hard conversations, the reality of it is is that typically it's those hard conversations that make us grow and make us bigger people and oftentimes can really add so much energy to our tank as we pursue God. But the reality is, No one likes having hard conversations. It's exactly the same um, for you if you're a parent. Now, we've got three boys, and over the years, we've had to learn how to parent them. But one of the things I remember doing with one of our kids was that they just received their first ever, and I can't remember whether it was like a, a pocket money thing or whether it was like some sort of money from their first little side hustle job. I can't remember the details. But what I do know is this. Within approximately six minutes of them receiving their entire payment, they had spent and blown the whole lot on FIFA points. Now, that meant that there was a bit of a hard, awkward conversation that my son did not want to have. However, I understood it was going to be for his benefit. And if he could understand that there are times when he's going to have to budget and not blow everything within six and a half minutes, it would make his life better and more balanced as he handles finances in the future. So whilst this is not necessarily a finance talk, I still do want to say up front, we're going to have a hard conversation. 
And it might not be the type of conversation that you want to hear. But if you're anything like me, it's the hard conversations that I need to hear. And it's in making that journey from where we are as we pursue all that God has got planned for us that hard and difficult conversations tend to take place. Because if there's one thing that I've started to realize about my life now is that I want my entire existence to be about making a difference in the lives of others. But I also understand that I've had to come on a journey with that because it's not always easy. And it's often not easy because if you're anything like me, you'll know what it's like to feel sometimes like you're just in survival mode, like you're just living from life from day to day, week to week, week, you know, at the best month to month. But it just feels to you like, man, I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to keep my own stuff together. I've not got the capacity to think of anything else or being generous or putting somebody else first. But what I want to say is that whilst we often do live life at that surviving mode, I want you to know that there is another mode that God has got planned for you. And that's not survival mode. That's called significance mode. Because I want you to know from the off that God has absolutely got a plan and a purpose for your life. And I promise you, it's perhaps way bigger than you are even aware of right now. Why? Because you were designed and created on purpose to make a difference. That's the real reason why you are here today. Because you know and sense of that call of God on your life. You want to make a difference. You want to play your part. You want to do your thing in the planet. Now, the psalmist puts it like this in Psalm 112. He says that good will come to those who are generous and lends freely. They will be remembered forever. So what we find now is the psalmist starts to link generosity with this idea that you will be remembered. The more that you're generous, the more that your acts and your deeds of kindness will be remembered. And I think that in part, That's exactly what legacy is all about. Legacy is about creating a time, just a few weeks in our year, where we just press pause and we stop. And we start to think more about eternity and not just today, as we start to be mindful of the fact that our actions count and what we do will be remembered by people. It's it's true for you and it is for me too. Like what we do will be remembered by people even when We're gone, and that's kind of scary, but it's actually way more than just being remembered by people. I mean, building a life that leads a legacy as a follower of Jesus also has to consider the fact that a legacy, in terms of what it really is, well, it's actually, it's a kind of life that's remembered by God also. Legacy is not just about being remembered by people, it's also talking about what will be remembered by God. Because what you've got to know is this, and this is, this is the hard talk. This is the uncomfortable part, okay? This is where you think to yourself, man, I should have skipped church today. Because the reality is, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, or even if you are not, there will come a time and a day where you will stand face to face with God Almighty, and you're going to be asked to give an account for your life. Now, I know right now some of you are already dismissive of that. That'll never happen to me. I'm never going to be standing in front of God. Or some of you might think, 
I can see how that works for a pastor or a leader of a church, but certainly it won't be applicable to me. Well, we're going to find through Scripture, actually, that this is absolutely true. And I promise you, there's going to come a time when you stand face to face with God Almighty. Now, our key Scripture from last week was rooted in Hebrews 6. It says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped these people and continue to help them. In other words, I'm trying to drive home the fact and the point to you that our works of our hands will be remembered by God. And if it's true, and I'm going to show this to you today as being completely accurate, that there will come a time that you stand face to face with God. So we've now got to start to realise, well, if that's true, am I ready for that time? I actually think that it's kind of my job as a pastor to help you get ready for that moment where you will stand face to face with God. But first, before some of you are already thinking, no, that's not going to happen to me, let me show it you in the text. We're going to go to the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter 14, verses 10 through to 12. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It's quite a weighty scripture, right? Because here the writer is trying to convey this idea that that you absolutely will go toe-to-toe, face-to-face with your maker. And at that time, you've got to know that every knee is going to bow down out of respect for the realisation of who God is. Another translation talks about how every tribe and tongue is going to declare that you are God. In other words, there's going to be a moment where people are stood before God and they realise, ah, I see it now. The stories that I heard were true. I, I see it. You, you are really God and you're real. I mean, even people who have never believed in Christ, have never even followed Christianity, are still going to have a moment where they go, ah, I see it now. You really are God in heaven. I get it now. So I guess that it's with this view that if eternity is real, then our lives have got to be lived out in such a way that we make sure that we know that we should be eternally minded. There's going to come this interaction where we go face to face with God. Like it's not just about what happens today that counts solely. There's a much bigger picture at play. In fact, even James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this in James chapter 4, verse 14. He basically says that your life is just like the fog. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. He describes our lives as being like that of a vapour or even a whisper, like, there you go. There was the entire existence of your life. It was as simple as that. In other words, he's trying to convey this idea that it's not just about today. It's not just about today's celebratory moments or even today's disappointments or even just, you know, last week's frustration that that incredibly criminal decision went against us at VAR in Tottenham. Like, what a despicable act that was, right? I mean, that should be a crime. But I think that James was saying, it's not just about last week. 
It's not just about today. Your life was built with a purpose and you should live it out with eternity in mind. Why? Because at some point, you're going to stand face to face with your maker in heaven. And I kind of see my role as being like that of a teacher. Can you remember back to the days when maybe some of you, it might be a long time ago, but you were in school and you were studying GCSEs or A-levels or maybe even O-levels. Some of you might even be in the midst of them right now. Can you just remember the words of your teachers when they would say to you things like, hey, we can't give you the, uh, the, the exact questions that are going to be asked, but what we can do is we can give you a past paper. We can give you like a previous exam paper from the same examining board so you can look at what types of questions have been asked previously so you can try and prepare yourself for the test. You can try and get ready for the test. Well, I kind of see that today, that's my job for you. I just want to help you get ready for the day and the time when you're going to stand toe to toe, face to face with your maker, because we might not know exactly how that's going to work out, okay? But we do know very roughly exactly what's going to be asked of you. So for example, one of the things that we've got to start to think about is if we're going to go face to face, what's going to happen? What's the implication for me? Well, There are two questions that are going to be asked of you. And not everybody's going to be asked two questions. Some people will only be asked the first question because it's really dependent on your answer to the first question that will then determine whether or not you're ever given the opportunity to be asked the question for the second question. But the very first question that you're going to be asked is simply this. What did you do with my son, Jesus? Heavy, right? This is the conversation nobody really wants to have in church. You want to hear about the good stuff. But hey, as followers of Jesus, we can't cherry pick what we choose out of Scripture. Like you can't be willing to say, I'll take that bit, but I'm not going to have that bit. It, like it doesn't come that way. Jesus doesn't come that way. So we've got to be willing to listen to some of the hard stuff. The question that will you be asked is, what did you do with my son Jesus? Now, I understand that this is not theology class. This is, this is just church on a Sunday. But there is something in theology that I want you to know about because I'm going to jump into a passage of Scripture from Revelation chapter 20. And I don't think that I commonly preach from the book of Revelation. In fact, I was even laughing and joking with Josh this week saying like, I can't even believe I'm about to preach this in church. And we were talking about this. But in theology, what you've got to know is that there is something that's referred to as the great white throne judgment. And it's referred to in Revelation. And this is actually talking about that time when you're going to stand face to face with your maker. And it says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. Can you imagine that? And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened which is the book of life. So let's just picture what's actually going on here. And it kind of freaks me out a little bit, but what the text tells me is there's gonna come a time when we are stood before the throne of God and we're gonna be basically asked some questions. And I I have no clue how this is gonna be administered. And it does kind of worry me to the point where I feel like I could create a system for this. Like, is there gonna be a line? Because it's gonna be a really long line if it's gonna involve every single person that's ever lived on the planet. And I get frustrated waiting in the drive-thru at McDonald's. So I just don't know how this is going to work in heaven, right? But like, is there going to be a buzzer? Is there going to be a bell? Is our name, are our names going to come up on a screen? Like, I don't know what the system is going to be. But what we do know is it tells us that during this interaction, it tells us first that the books 
That's the word book with an S on, it's plural. The books were opened and contained within the books is a written statement of every one of your actions, deeds and words and thoughts. Within the books, it basically is an account of your entire life. It's written in the books. But then it tells us as well, that as well as there being the books that were opened, there was another book, not books, a book, singular. Another book was opened and contained within that book is written the name of every person that has made a decision to follow Jesus and repent from their sins and choose to invite him to be the Lord of their life. In fact, that book is typically referred to as the Lamb's Book of Life. But here's the point that I'm trying to make. During that face-to-face interaction, there's gonna be a choice. Which way are you gonna go? But you can't make it when you're there. You have to make it whilst you're here. Are you gonna go the way of the books or the book? Because my advice to you as a pastor is this. Don't do the books. Do the book. Make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Make sure that you are certain that actually you've made a decision to put your faith in Jesus and believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection. And you've made the choice to say, God, I'm sorry for living for myself and for all of my sin. Come and forgive me and live in charge of my life. Like that's making sure that your name is in the book because the text goes on and it says that the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, plural. Don't do books. Make sure your name is in the book. So I suppose that the question now that we have to figure out is, how do you get your name in the book? Like if that's the story and the narrative that we want to see outworked in our lives, how do we make sure that our name is in the book? Because what you've got to know about the book is, You don't get in the book because of the things that you've done. The things that you've done are recounted and recorded in the books. You get in the book not because you've got baptised, not because you sang the song and you clapped your hands at church one in every three Sundays. You don't get in the book because you were kind to a neighbour on one given occurrence. You don't get in the book because you served on a team and wore a red t-shirt. That's not how you get in the book. The way in which you get in the book is only by having a real relationship with Jesus. And there is no other way into the book. Just this week, we were having a bite to eat with some friends and something really funny happened. We walked up to the restaurant, which was where we'd made the reservation, and we gave in our name and literally we realised that there was a problem because we'd only made the reservation in the name of two people and not four people. Now, I thought this is not going to be a big deal, right? Just bring two tables together, everybody's happy. But the server at the door was basically telling us, look, we're so busy tonight, we have zero room to accommodate the four of you. In other words, we only have two names in the book. But I was thinking, but we're going to be able to figure this out, right? And they literally turned us away at the door and we couldn't go to the place that we all wanted to go and eat. They were saying this, your names aren't all in the book. You can't come in. And I think it's kind of like that when it comes to ensuring that your name is in the book so that you get eternity with the Father. It's making sure that you have a real relationship with Jesus. Now, the Bible, the Scriptures, it tells us this in Matthew 7. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles? In other words, they were saying, hey, Jesus, didn't we like turn up to church every few weeks? Didn't we even sing the song? Didn't we throw a tenor in the bucket went round one time? Didn't we get baptised? Like, didn't we do all this stuff? And watch what Jesus says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. In other words, he's saying this, you can do a whole bunch of stuff, but if you don't know me personally, your name's not in the book. So the answer to the question of, well, how do we get our name in the book? It's by knowing Jesus personally. It's making sure that he knows you personally. And it's more than just a one-off prayer. It's a commitment to a real and authentic relationship with him. It's you living and focusing the entire entity of your life now in such a way that says, Jesus, you're my goal. You're my purpose. You're why I'm here. And I want to strive through prayer and reading your word to getting to know you because I want your name to be in the book. Now, that's the answer to the first question. But the second question that's going to be asked really is not going to be asked of everybody because if your answer to the first question, you know, what did you do with my son Jesus is, well, nothing, you're not going to be asked the second question. But if the answer is, well, yeah, I did something, I knew Jesus and Jesus knew me personally, then you're going to be asked the second question. And the second question, which is the other part of the test that I'm trying to help get you ready for, is this, what did you do with what I gave you. So the first question is, well, what did you do with Jesus? The second question is, what did you do with what I gave you? Now, again, in theology, this is now referred to as the second judgment. And we know that this is not the first judgment because we know the first judgment is nothing to do with the works that you can do in life. That's an act of grace. It's saving grace that we get in the book. So we know that this is a second judgment. But even that word judgment, it just feels so heavy to me because this second part, this second thing that we're going to be asked, like, what did you do with what I gave to you? I think it's going to be looking something more like what happens at the Olympics. You know, when all the racers have finished their 100 meter sprint and the whole stadium stands up and everybody's clapping like, hey, you finished the race, well done. And then some people will get to go on a podium and some people are given a gold and others people are given a silver. And then there's the little guy that's given the bronze. I think that that's what the second judgment is going to be like. It's where we're all able to give an account to God for what we did with what he's given to us. And then he's going to reward us accordingly, but it's going to be a party. It's going to be like a great celebratory moment where we're cheering and championing one another on. And even for people who don't get the bronze, it's going to be like, well, hey, you still made it across the line. Like you might have not done much, but you still did a little and well done you. And it's going to be that kind of theme and vibe. Check out what the scriptures teach us in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due to him for the things he has done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now that phrase, while in the body, do you know what that means? <laughs> while you were in your body, like whilst you were living your life here on earth, what did you do with the things that God has given you? And now God is gonna reward you in accordance to what you did whilst we were all on earth. What did you do when you were in the body? Matthew 16 tells us, 
For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. In other words, God, like we learned from Hebrews 6, God is not going to forget what you have done. And now it's saying that he's going to come and reward each person according to what he has done. In fact, that word reward, it's a Hebrew word that that means aplogetimi. And what that actually means is him saying, I'm not just going to reward you, but I'm going to pay you back. Like, I'm going to pay you back according to the level at which you used what I had given you for the good and purpose of others. I mean, even Revelation 22 verse 12 tells us, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me, and I'm going to give to everyone according to his work. So, the right answer to the second question of what did you do with what I gave you? We've got to be able to understand that whatever we give as an answer, we're going to need to say something like, God, I took what you gave me and I put it to a purpose that was eternally minded. Like it wasn't just about me today. I didn't just live my life solely fixated on, have I got the best designer clothes? Am I driving the best car? Am I living in the best postcode? Am I going on holiday to the best places? He was saying, no, no, you're completely missing the point. You need to live your life with your eyes lifted heavenwards, with eternity in mind. Matthew 6 tells us, now this is Jesus speaking. It's the red text. I love the red text. Jesus tells us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And the point I'm trying to make here is that even God, even Jesus did not have a problem with you doing some things for you. He has no problem with you storing up treasure for you. But what he was trying to say to us is, you're spending your life pursuing things heading in the wrong direction. He was saying, store some things up in in heaven for you, absolutely. Do it for you, but you don't do it here. You do it ready for later on over there. He was saying, look, there's a different way. Be eternally Minded. So I guess the question now is, how do we store up treasures in heaven? How do we outlive that? How do we outwork that? Well, I want to just give you two very simple words. If you want to know how you can make sure that you're doing your absolute best with all that God has given to you, you have to do what these two words are going to instruct you to do. You have to be purposeful. You have to live life on purpose. You have to live life according to the choices that you are making rather than just chances and opportunity that might fleetingly pass you by. You have to live life intentionally, on purpose. But actually, it's living life on purpose in three key areas. And if you do this, it's going to help you get ready for that time and that moment where you go toe-to-toe, face-to-face with your maker of heaven and earth. And as you stand before him, You're going to be ready for this test because you're going to know what's on the exam. So be purposeful. Don't leave it to chance. Be intentional. But be intentional over these three areas. And I introduce these 
ideas to you last week. And I wanna do it in reverse order to see how this can really work out for you. But I would say you've gotta do some things in life on purpose. If you really wanna be able to give an answer that says, God, I took what you gave me and I used it to the best of my ability for the purpose of others, you've got to be willing to share your treasure on purpose. Be intentional with what you do, with the resource that's coming in and out of your life. And actually, doing it on purpose and doing it intentional is significant because what it actually means is you're going to choose to live a generous life whether or not there is an emotive TV advert with somebody crying on it, begging and pleading you for your money. Because that isn't being generous on purpose. That can be responding and that can be being generous. But when you're being generous on purpose and you're doing it with intentionality, you're doing it without any emotional hype. You're actually saying, actually, God, I'm going to plan this into my life and that of my family, that we're just going to be generous people. Emma and I do this. We look for opportunities to be generous because we want to be this on purpose. And you don't have to give what you do not have. There is no requirement in Scripture for you to give what you don't have. You can't do that. That would be crazy. But what you can do is you can share on purpose what you do have. And if it's a lot, share a part of your lot. And if it's a little, then share a part of your little. And if you think that your life has absolutely nothing, then you don't have to share any of that. There's no expectation placed on you to do that at all because you cannot give what you do not first have. But we are all responsible to share a little of what we do have. 2 Corinthians 9 tells us this. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I mean, if you want something good, if you want to hear a good report, then I promise you the best way that you and I can go about it is just simply by choosing to be intentionally generous with what God has given you. Just be generous on purpose, share a piece of your treasure. And in fact, as a church, man, I'm so excited that we get to do things like this because we don't want to be just the type of church that helps, you know, Kevin and Noel in Toulouse in France. But we also have another great, fantastic opportunity to help another church get started and become a life-giving church out in the city of Bucharest in Romania. Because I want to always make sure that with the resource that God gives to us, that we're being generous and sharing our treasure on purpose. So allow me to introduce you to Daniel and Alina Bacanasia. Celebrate because, yeah, come on. What's really cool is that these guys today in Bucharest, in Romania, are launching their intro services. And I'm just saying this, I count it an honor and a privilege that we get, I think, to just sow a small financial seed into their world. And do you know why? A conversation came up, and this, this will blow your head off as it did mine. Daniel said to me, he said this, he said, we have heard meaning him and his wife have heard. And this, these are a great couple. He says, we have heard that your church helps other churches get started. And I think, man, I, I'll give my life to build in a church that people will talk around Europe and say that about you guys here at Liverpool One Church. So that's something that we want to be able to do with our resource and with our treasure that God has entrusted unto us. The second things that you also need to be doing is you have to be willing to share on purpose your time and your talent. We spoke about it last week, but let me help build that out in your thinking. 
1 Timothy 6 verse 18 tells us, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need, always ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. There we see the same thing that Jesus was talking about. And it is the only safe investment for eternity. Now, I guess that the whole theme of this legacy series is about encouraging us as a church to make sure that we're generous. But being generous is not only about financial means. I think that what we're being encouraged to do here is just simply be generous with our lives also, with our time and with our talent. And let me tell you, I just think it would be awesome if we were to build and cultivate a culture here in Liverpool One that we were always willing to be kind and generous with even just something as simple as our words. Like, here's a question. How many times have you walked out of our auditorium every Sunday and not once ever said a huge thank you to our amazing techs that are sat behind a booth servicing every single one of you? Like, we can be kind with our words. We can be kind and generous on purpose with our words when you go into the foyer and you intentionally go looking for the lonely one. Who looks like they're wandering about on their own, that it looks like to you they don't have a friend yet. They don't know anybody yet. They look like they're a bit of a loner. Can we be intentional with our time and with our talents to make room for people like that? Who is there in your world that is desperately in need of an encouraging thought or statement or presentation from their world that lives in darkness? You can bring them out to light. Like we can do this. Can you imagine the culture that we would create if we would just be willing to share a little bit of what we have and do it on purpose? You know, just the other month, Emma and I, we went out to a restaurant with some new friends of ours, but like brilliant, amazing couple. And we were having a great night. And then just, well, two things happened that absolutely blew us away a little bit. What happened was it was a husband-wife couple and we're sat there having dinner. And then literally as the night is coming towards a close, the, the, the lady said to us, our friend, I just don't want to say her name, the person said to us, hey, listen, I have a question for you. And she leant across the table and she goes, how can my family pray for you and your family right now? And I was a little bit taken aback. And she said, no, no, what I mean is like, what's going on in your world? How can we pray for you? And I think that Emma and I, we looked at each other at the same time as if to say like, that's not the question that anybody ever asks us. Now, hey, don't worry, I'm not asking after everybody reaching out going, hey, what, what do you need? It's not about that. It's the point of the story. It made us feel like a million dollars because we are so used to going out to dinner and we always ask that question. We always say, hey, like, what's going on in your world? How's your family? What can we do to help? Like, you tell, how can we help you? How can we be praying for you? Or practically, is there anything that I can do to help? you. So to now be on the receiving end of somebody who'd already thought about this in advance, who was saying, man, like what's going on in your world? How can my family pray for you? Like it blew us away and it was just their words. And then the craziest thing happened next. When the guy came back to the table a few moments later, he also just said, and by the way, we've just paid for you. So not only were they willing to pray for us, but they just paid for us. And again, I'm not, I'm not after being taken out for dinner. That's not the purpose of the story. But I'm saying that I, my history would 
say is they're doing the things that we ask everybody and we try to do for everybody and being on the receiving end of that just blew us away to the point where we literally, we got back in our car and we almost cried. We were like, did, did you just see what just happened? They said, can we pray for you? And can we pay for you? I'm like, that's not, it's not typical in our world. And I totally get it because, hey, we're the pastors. We should be asking those kind of questions, right? So nobody needs to get out the violin. I'm not having a pity party. I'm telling you that it just blessed our soul to be on the receiving end of somebody else saying, I'm willing to share my time and my talent and a little bit of our treasure to make sure that you feel valued and blessed. It was just the most amazing thing. So my question is, can you make sure that we all do that for one another? Because it's our love for one another that's really gonna set us apart and mean that we're known by other people as being followers of the Christ. And then the third and final thing in closing that I'm asking you to share on purpose because it doesn't actually matter if we share everything else and we don't do this. I'm asking you, Liverpool One Church, to share Christ on purpose, to be willing to share your story, share the good things that God has done in your life, share your testimony of however it was you came to faith. For some of you, you just need to start sharing the fact that you're a Christian in the office block because nobody knows and you hide it well and you've got your Instagram private so no one can see what you do on a Sunday. For some of you, like you just need to start to be honest and say, I'm going to talk about Jesus in the office. I'm going to talk about Jesus in the warehouse. I'm going to talk about Jesus whilst I'm at the shops. I'm going to talk about Jesus whilst I'm at the school gates because James tells us, and he's the brother of Jesus, he says, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Now, when Jesus was talking about what happens when that type of thing happens, he says in Luke 15, he says, count on it. That's the kind of party that God's angels throw every time that someone that has a lost soul turns to God. In other words, he's saying, this is the thing we celebrate the most. And you can be honest and diligent with your time, your talent and treasure. And we're asking you to pray about that in this legacy series. But if we do all of that and we're not willing to share our story, we kind of miss the entire point. So as we commit as a church, to being followers of the red text. Can you start to pray and ask God? Because I'm not asking you to give. I'm asking you to pray to God and ask him what you should give. Will you be willing to pray and say, God, how can I best share my treasure, my time and my talent? But how can I also share you on purpose too? Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray and we're going to invite every single one of us to just close our eyes and bow our heads. I'm going to say one very simple and very clear prayer in just a moment. And whilst every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you have sat in today's service and you're just concerned about that time, like face-to-face, toe-to-toe with our maker, like I don't know where my life is with him. Maybe you've never made a decision to become a Christian, you've never made that choice to make your peace with God. Maybe you've never asked for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you've never invited Him to be the Lord of your life. But real simple, one very clear prayer. If that's the decision that you want to make today so that your name is entered into the book of life, so that you start on a journey that is a real and authentic pursuit of who Jesus is, 
then if you want that, then I'm gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna invite you to just respond in your heart in the best way you know how by following this prayer and repeating it after me. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Father in heaven, today I invite you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to live in my heart. I want to follow you. I believe that you're real. And I'm thankful for you sending Jesus Christ, your one and only son, whose life was given for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins and all the things that I've done wrong. Because I wanna follow you now. I want my life to exist, to pursue the purpose of knowing you more. So have your way, have my heart and be the Lord of my life. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.